Welcome to a special edition of the Georgia 2024 show. We have uh, an interesting panel today to continue to discuss House Bill 520, which is making its way through the Georgia legislature. And uh, we're going to bring out some points on that. We have Bill Quinn, who you're uh, well aware of, is on regularly, and April Dukes McDaniel, which is an active, who is an activist in Forsyth, right, April? Am I that right? is correct, yeah. yes. So, uh, election integrity and... Uh, and just a, a America First activist, and Melissa Jackson of No Left, Left Turn in Education, who's also a friend of the show. So welcome, guys. Um, Bill, take it from here. Okay. Thank, thank you again, Todd. So uh, to bring uh, the audience up to speed, yesterday the um, Georgia Senate Health and Human Services Committee, is actually a subcommittee uh, within there, um, heard testimony on House Bill HB 520. This bill has been, you know, all over the place in uh, in our discussions and in the public since it uh, since it emerged uh, back uh, last couple of weeks of February. Um, number of things in the bill are causing concern. Number of folks are bringing forward their concerns, and you could see in the um, standing room only room yesterday that a lot of people wanted to speak. A few got the chance to, and uh, the points were. Uh, quite interesting. So, um, ladies, thank you very much for joining us. So let's start with, you know, there were a lot of folks in that room, and you know, there was a there was a sense of importance to many folks. And then we heard testimony from uh, two of the sponsors. So let me start. Perhaps uh, uh, Melissa, could we start with you? And get, what were your observations as the testimony started yesterday? And you know. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I think the, the most noticeable thing for me was that most of the people that were there that were in support of the bill were from um, mental health organizations. Mm. And um, so they definitely have an interest in this bill. Um, you know, the whole public-private partnership, which can be very nefarious, especially as we've seen that in the education sector. Most of the people there, I would say, that were opposing the bill were just normal citizens like myself who have um, concerns about how this impacts our, our freedom and our liberties, um, how, you know, this seems more like government overreach and how the big, the bill is so big, can't possibly understand um, just with the short amount of time we've had to review the bill, um, what, what the impact will really be of this bill. Yeah, you bring up a couple of good points. Um, they seemed to, the, the sponsors seemed to downplay the um, size and amount of expansion that the bill calls for. Um, they made that point a couple of times, and um, I found that I found that interesting. And um, they seem to very carefully pick out pieces that almost seem to counter things that citizens like like yourselves and us had brought up. So um, my impression there was it seems to be they're trying to dissuade folks from the uh, from the points that are being heard. April, what did what did you spot? Um, you know, similar to what Melissa said, it, it felt like there weren't very many, I guess, uh, organically organic citizens that were in favor of the bill. I did feel that they did address the concerns that we had brought forward um, last, I believe, a couple of days ago last week. Um, with with the bill in regards to you know, the immunity 
um, for one, I know the um, the affidavits. Um, it, it felt that they were hurrying to some degree, you know, limiting testimony to only two minutes, and um, you know, kind of getting through that. I think it, it it was good that there was testimony to be heard, but I do understand that there are limited days left in you know the legislative session, and I feel like there are so many things that are unanswered with this bill that it, it's overwhelming to the average citizen. We, it's a test. We don't know the implications of what you know the results will be um, in some of the sections. And so I, I feel that it this shouldn't go through. Yeah. There, there's just too much at stake here. You mentioned the hurrying aspect. So um, I look back to see when the bill had been introduced. It was introduced on February 21st, and it passed the House on March 2nd, so about two weeks later. That's that's pretty quick for a bill that I think started up in the 50-plus page count and ended up, I think, to be 44, at least so far. Um, but there does seem to be, a, 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 I'll call it a push, you know, an impetus to this that goes beyond um, – uh, what we've seen with other bills, especially election bills and other things. Let, let um, me ask you something, Bill. Is there is there been any specific legislators legislators who are pushing to uh, amend the bill in any way, like take out some of the mo more onerous pieces? Is anyone standing up and and for the people on this? So there was a gentleman, uh, one of the senators yesterday on the committee. Um, there were a few questions after the testimony by uh, uh, Mr. Jones and Ms. Oliver, but. One of the senators brought up one of the, I mean, just glaring missing pieces. You know, you're talking about a mental health bill and the notion, the definition of serious mm -hmm. mental illness is not there. It's omitted and is part of the responsibilities supposedly of a uh, board, which will be created under the bill. Mm -hmm. And they will define that by December of this year. So the senator on the committee brought that up and he said, is isn't it, uh, you know, how many things and what things hinge on that definition? And is it is it appropriate? I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit. Is it appropriate that it isn't the Senate that's defining that, but a board, and it and they're defining it after this bill were to become law? With no due process in the legislature. So essentially, somebody could say, if you're a Trump supporter, you're mentally ill. The board could say that, and therefore. That's the new definition of mental illness without it, of course. Yeah. Theoretically could be. It could be something more like, you know, if you uh, if you seem to be going against the precepts of, of uh, what Georgia says you should be focused on in any respect. Sure. Is that a question to uh, to be deemed as a you know potential mental health issue? Right. You know, it's it it leaves the question wide open. But the bigger issue for me is why? Why wouldn't that work have been done in the first place? Mm -hmm. So, um, ladies, did you hear the comments regarding the studies? Um, I believe that uh, Todd Jones uh, called out that fully five of 20 sections of the bill deal with the creation and completion of studies. Yeah, I, I noticed that uh, when I was looking through the bill, there's all different kinds of studies. There's studies on children with acute autism, um, which is my daughter. There's studies on how criminals are going to transition back into the workplace. There's mm -hmm. studies of the homeless. It's like, 
what studies do we, what is the bill supposed to focus on? It seems to be all over the place. Um, why can't we just have some focus here and have the studies first, get the results of the studies, and then create the necessary legislation? Yeah, yeah. It, it begs the question, perhaps somebody brought up earlier today. It, does amending law always need to be done just to get a study? Um, I don't seem to recall that. Not, I do seem to recall that there are other mechanisms to have studies and, and research done um, prior to enacting law. And um, it just, it struck me was I, when I was looking at it that a quarter of this 44 page bill is about studies. And um, somebody made the point earlier, well, if you don't have the studies, how do you know what you have to accomplish? And then consequently, how do you even know the effects of this bill? We don't, e we don't even know what it's going to try to accomplish until those studies are done. And until, of course, we decide what serious mental illness means. Right. That makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. it, one of the things that, uh, that was brought up was this uh, uh, two affidavit. We'll call it, we'll paraphrase it with two affidavit issue. Um, April, maybe you could speak to that a bit if you're if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think you know apparently that is that has been something that is in current code. However, um, you know the identity being concealed of two people, it could be any two people. You know, maybe it's a doctor, maybe it's a teacher, you know, parent, an enemy, a friend, anyone. These two affidavits, they their names would be redacted or concealed. Mm -hmm. Now, I felt in the hearing yesterday, it was, you know, addressed in the beginning. And they were speaking about how, oh, well, through the court of law, it can be unsealed. Um, but I'm going to be very frank. The, the justice system, the, the legal realm, it, it's, it's timely. It takes a long time. And um, so, and in, you know, with this time, you know, I could be sitting in a, in a mental institution for an evaluation mm -hmm. uh, or my kid or, you know, anyone. Or even being treated. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Giving yeah. drugs. And for something that hasn't even been defined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back, back to this, back to one of the base problems. So consider this, this is what struck me. I, I was, I, I was in attendance, um, I think, as you guys know, and I was in the back of the room and and a, a lady and what I be believe was either her granddaughter or, or perhaps the other lady that was with her daughter, little little girl, maybe four years old. And four years old is, is pretty young, but I but I thought, what if what if this were a young person, young, young elementary school person standing in front of me and somebody for whatever reason some unnamed couple of people, you know, somebody they got in fight with on the bus, somebody down the street that didn't like the look of them, whatever, decided, hey, we're going to cause a problem. Imagine what parents would do to hear that, you know, their child was under evaluation based on somebody's testimony, might not be able to get to, you know, parents might not be able to intervene at that point. And you don't even know how it started. And now you're told, oh, well, you can always go to court and have them unsealed. In the meantime, that poor little person is, you know, um, confined somewhere potentially. And to Todd's point, maybe being treated. 
How? Why? For what? No, I, we hear stories like that all the time with just the, you know, CPS even right. um, across the nation. It, it's scary. It's very scary. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, um, uh, you know, the, that also brings into call the, you know, the um, notion of immunity, um, which in some cases, I, I guess, based on the way um, Representative Jones was describing it, if it's purely about you know, a doctor or a nurse not losing their license um, because of now getting treated and becoming better in some way. Um, maybe that makes sense. But I understand when, uh, when, when uh, from folks that were in attendance with a separate meeting uh, with uh, Representative Jones yesterday afternoon that the, the question came up, well, how many times does that happen? How many times do you have a doctor or a nurse who can't get their license back because they weren't granted immunity? And, and of course, the answer, as, as was reported to me, was I don't know. You know, we don't have a uh, ah, one more study. We don't have. Right. So um, but how what is your general impression of, you know, both civil and especially criminal immunity for almost every um, person and organization in, you know, that would be acting underneath this bill? Well, I think there's a certain level of responsibility these professionals have. Um, so to grant them immunity um, is a bit scary as a as a parent who's had a child. Um, around the age of two or three, who we had um, at the time, we didn't know what was going on. We thought maybe um, she was bipolar, oppositional, turned out after nine years of in and out um, of places like the NIH, um, talking to psychiatrists, she was on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. Um, and while she was under the care of some of these physicians, she was on some pretty dangerous medications. So psychotropics, you know, aren't something that you mess with. Right. Um, if anything would have happened, would they have been liable? Um, you know, as a young parent, uh, that would have been devastating, you know, if anything would have happened. So, yeah. well, you know, we've been doing these events around the country on the protection of children. And just a point just occurred to me. I mean, there's so much se sexual abuse of kids in these systems. I mean, this could be a way to like traffic children. I mean, absolutely go down the list. I mean, and then to give them immunity is is just not cool. Right. So. That's, another, yeah. Another way to look at it, in sort of, in my mind, is it isn't. Sometimes it isn't what bills say. It's kind of the the windows and doors they leave open that you, and and you sound, you know, people sound a little, um, you know, uh, maybe they're over. Maybe some people would say they're overreacting to point out these gaps. But in this case, it doesn't feel like that, does it? When when not after the last three years. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's where you re we really have to, you know, kind of pull ourselves out and look you know, at this 40,000 foot view, like what all is going on right now? We just got out of the pandemic mm -hmm. and some of these agencies, you know, I I'll quite frankly, I don't know that I trust. Right. Well, and I think, I think that's probably what's I think that's what's so surprising um, at the Capitol um, last session and this session is there's a whole new group of people down there. And we go down and question and we read these bills. And um, I just don't they probably weren't prepared for this. Um, they, I don't think they've had to deal with this sort of type of questioning and this many people coming down. And yeah. it's 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 like you said, sometimes it's about what's not in the bill. Right. When somebody reminded me this morning that this bill's precursor, uh, last year's H, 
HB 1013, I believe. Yes. Initially included um, some defined standards, one of which was we would be governed based on standards coming from the World Health Organization. And given what we've seen, and, and I, I think I'm safe in saying that people have learned um, about uh, global perspectives versus perspectives that are um, here for us and, and governed and uh, created by us. You know, global standards have a tendency to, to be other than in our best interest. So the very fact that this bill's precursor had standards from the WHO in it is scary. Now, they did remove them, but to your point, they removed them when people stepped in and said, no, what are you doing? Why would we want this? Right. As we go forward, um, you know, I, I suspect that people will become even better educated at this. Um, I'm hoping that um, the folks in the Senate will have their ears open and, uh, you know, and, and pay attention to the concerns that are coming forward because, you know, boy, there's a bunch and there's a lot of people that are getting their eyeballs on this uh, at the moment. Um, if you, one other aspect that I wanted to bring up, there's, um, yesterday, one of the rep representatives that was presenting it talked about drawing people into, um, areas of the state, counties within the state that needed personnel. What were your impressions of that? You know, whether they, they're talking about, um, repayment of student loans. Now I, I thought I heard yesterday some, some maximums stated by one of the sponsors, but I looked over the bill again this morning. I don't see those. Um, maybe they've been added and just aren't published yet. But what's your impression of these student loan repayments as, as a means of getting people to come into Georgia and work within this uh, mental health area? I don't, I'm not a fan of student loan payments, period. So, um, you know, I, I, I probably don't support that. I mean, I don't, do we really have that much of a shortage um, in this area. Um, I just, I just don't agree. Well, it with goes that. back to the market. I mean, if, if there's a market right. for the people right. that will come, right? I mean, right. Right. so why create the market to, you know, if, if there's a huge mental health problem, there would be a market for professionals who would get paid. Right. And, and are these people yeah. going into this field because they're passionate about it or just because there's a free education? Yeah. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think kind of speaking to the school-based health clinics, you know, if they're trying to open, we've been told they're opening them in, in places that don't have access to health care, right. which one just opened in coming. And I'm pretty sure that we have a hospital, plenty of doctors, offices, urgent cares on every, you know, corner I turn. Right. So, why the push, you know, why the push, why in legislation was there, um, thank goodness it didn't pass. But again, going back to why did they want to evaluate every kid age eight years and older? You know, mm. why was that a proposal? Well, and I think it's interesting that that's exactly what they're pushing. I mean, since we've been going down to the Capitol all session, everything is about mental health, mental health, workforce development, mental health, CDC, every kid is traumatized. So if you think about that perspective, every kid is traumatized after COVID. Um, and then you look at this bill um, and you kind of connect the dots. That's 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 pretty scary. And these school based health clinics aren't school health clinics. They're private health clinics. They answer themselves. They don't answer to the state or to the schools. 
So one of the things I was thinking about when I heard this was, it was just what, a month and a half, two months ago that I was watching the um, uh, inauguration ceremony for uh, Governor Kemp and, you know, Burt Jones made some comments and so forth. But to hear those discussions, boy, it sounded like Georgia was a wonderful place to live, great place to work, wonderful opportunities. And yet here I hear that, well, gosh, we've got to pay off people's student loans to get them to come into various areas. Um, it would seem, you would think, that there might be more efficient means to do that. And then it's also going to open up other questions. You know, what, what do you say to a medical student, maybe in a slightly different discipline, when, you know, his colleague or his, his fellow student is getting his student loan paid by becoming a mental health uh, worker in, in a given county or area of Georgia, and yet he might be in a dis different discipline that doesn't qualify. And he still wants to work in Georgia. He's happy to move here, but he doesn't get that help. How do you justify that for the ones left out? And then two, how do you assure that you actually get to, um, you know, to Todd's point, how do you get the, the um, merit, folks that, that have the proper merit to go into an area and, and probably if, according to the way he was describing it, lead the area in, you know, mental health disciplines and so forth. Um, I don't know how you manage that when you're funding so much to get people there. Um, right. Motivations might be somewhat confused. Or the strings that are attached if you do take the money. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Yeah. yep. So what going forward, I mean, this sounds like this is a very near-term set of discussions. What would you suggest, you know, for other folks that are going to hear this and maybe deciding, gosh, can I, should I get involved in some way? What do you what do you see as the right steps for them? Getting involved generally in the process. Yes. Yeah, I think this is. Yeah. I, de I definitely think this is um, eye-opening for people. Um, I think it's overwhelming for people. Um, I think it's just it can be as simple as start contacting your representative and your senator and getting to know them and just voicing your concerns. Um, you know, that's how we got started, and mm -hmm. um, and of course we're always here to help people. You know, we're in the education space, but, um, you know, go on to legis.ga.gov, poke around, look at some of the bills, um, but definitely reach out to your legislators and start having conversations with them. Yeah. And, and I think um, the Freedom Caucus has done an excellent job of recapping for the average citizen what concerns, you know, are being brought to the table down at the Capitol and, and kind of you know, where things stand, um, you know, it's intimidating to speak with legislators. And I think it's that, you know, we have to get over that fear. We have, if we, the people want, you know, our, the goal, people at the Gold Dome to represent us, then we need to stand up and, and get them on the phone. And even if we don't know everything about a particular piece of legislation, you know, let them know, like, I am alarmed. This is doesn't seem like the right thing for for us. And you know, what can I do to to help you know get this to where it needs to be? Or you know, Senator, we just need to strike this. You know, we need to table this bill right. until it's right. That's one of the ongoing debates. Is is this a is this a unique fixer upper opportunity, or is or is this a you know? 
or scratch it and start again. And uh, the, that debate is still heavily ongoing, I think. so. Well, and it's, you know, I, I know they spoke yesterday about how they've been working on this for quite some time. And I have a friend who actually did listen into some of their um, committee meetings on this, because we were very concerned about the database, you know, and all of this, uh, you know, data that can be, you know, that's going into one database. So they've been planning this for a long time. It is unacceptable to not have a definition, in right. my opinion. Um, it, it just is, I, I can't even believe it. It's sort of inexplicable why they wouldn't have done work up front, right? Yeah, they, yeah. They took, it's like they, they obviously took months to write the bill. You would have thought sure. that would give them time to do some of this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it is crazy. Yeah. So um, one of the uh, one of the other folks that we speak with uh, had made a um, couple specific recommendations in this case. So this is currently uh, House Bill Five Twenty is currently sitting in the House and Human Services Committee within the uh, Senate. They recommended sending, uh, well, one, calling. Calling is apparently a stronger mode of communication for these folks than uh, email. And uh, and then backing it up with an email so that you can get a bit more data and a bit more um, detail into the discussion or your feedback. And ask them specifically for what you want. You know, If you don't believe that this is a good bill, tell them so. Tell them that you'd like it changed, scratched, um, you know, whatever, whatever you believe is the right, uh, the right course. Um, sure. But but engagement, I believe, is uh, is critical. You make you said it yourself. They're not used to seeing a room full of people. Right. I think I've seen that room in the past on uh, various other events, and I, I'm not sure I've ever seen it that full. So um, any fuller, we you know we probably would have all been standing to make it fit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Any um, any other last thoughts in perspective with uh, 520? Maybe other things that you saw under tracking and in the legislature at the moment? Well, our primary focus um, right now has been on the education bills. So um, I think SB 140 is one that actually had a hearing this afternoon that um, that is quite concerning to us, the uh, gender reassignment and the fact that it doesn't address puberty blockers. So we've been trying to lobby as much as we can as a C3 for, uh, for that to be amended to include puberty blockers and civil penalties. So. Yeah. And that ties into mental health as well. Yeah. Yes, very much so. For these children. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But we, I think overall, I, I mean, I'll speak very frank, very disappointed in some of the legislation that's come through for the schools and, and what did not make it to a hearing um, right. and, and things that did get watered down yeah. you know, to some degree. Back, back to something that I think you said earlier, you know, it's, it's amazing that HP 520 got powered through like it was on jet fuel. Yeah. And some of, the, some of these other things that many would argue are equally important are left on the table. And I guess we'll see them sometime. In the yeah. Future. I mean, we, the, the closing the library loophole, right. you know, Greg Dolezal put up a bill to do that. And instead of, you know, right. that never made it to a hearing. And that, I think that bill was maybe five sentences. Yeah. Um, did it have, any, did it have yeah. any studies to find in it? No, it, it's <laughs> Bill. It's literally crossing out the word "school" in the piece of right. legislation that would fix a lot of problems and allow us moms to focus on a lot of other things other right. than this, you know, the filth and, and garbage and the books that are clearly not helping mental health. 
right. um, that remain in our schools. But I think what will be amazing is at the end of the session, you will hear how we did so much for children. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's, it, uh, you know, your, your willingness to join us today is very much appreciated. I'm sure we're not done with any of this stuff yet, but uh, um, thank you for your time. And uh, Todd, back to, back to you. Our pleasure. Well, that's it. We'll be back on the regular scheduled uh, show Sunday at 2 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you. Thank you, guys.